Hi. Hi, <laughs> and welcome once again to What's the Damage, companion show to the incredibly well-known and popular real play D&D show, Roll for Damage. We're big in Australia. Um, we have another emotional one on Friday as our heroes got sort of arrested and had to come to terms with the uh, multiple murders that they did for uh, reasons that seemed good at the time and seemed less good in hindsight. That's often how murder goes. Uh, restorative justice won the day though. Uh, Oriana got told off. Perry said her piece and had her moment in the sun. Unfortunately, she's not on today. Um, and Quinn was faced with a fundamental question which plagues a lot of people, which is, who do you want to be as a person? We'll be talking philosophy tonight. As always, stick around after the stream for brand new update links and resources. I'm your host, Truth Benson, and this is What's the Damage? Welcome back. Joining me today is our wonderful DM, Serenity, um, and the always exciting Chad, who plays Quinn, who's um, been having some fun lately. So we certainly had an interesting episode, ups and downs, some diagonals. What's the damage? I mean, fun is a way to put it. I don't, fun and interesting, when everything interesting, like, I keep thinking of the movie Serenity, where the land is going to get interesting. Define interesting. Oh God! Oh God! We're all going to die. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, it, yeah I feel I like it's an the apt Chinese description. Verse. May I you live in interesting Chinese times. Verse. Yeah, which we do. So. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> okay. <sighs> so, um, I feel like you all get arrested a lot in this campaign. Um. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Chad, Quinn was semi-catatonic for the first bit of this episode, perhaps yep. understandably. Um, but I actually want to backtrack a little bit because uh, you weren't on last week to the end of last episode, which saw Melora crying her poor little god eyes out as mm -hmm. she thought she lost you for good. Um, <clears throat> tell us about that. Yeah, that was also interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I did not know what to make of it in the moment. I was just very, just surprised, especially because we'd not seen the gods literally wandering around and then all of a sudden here is one and oh mm -hmm. shit, now she's really, really sad and oh shit, now it's all my fault. <laughs> so it was a lot to unpack and it was very, very just cool in a way yeah like to actually see the physical manifestation of something like that just sort of show up even under the circumstances yeah, i imagine like, i objectively making, cool <laughs> yeah. i imagine making your god cry is kind of like making your mom cry if you like your mom and also times a billion 
kind of yeah. yeah and plus like you know quinn was you know raised by a single mother so like the, the parallels are really strong there I know. especially it's the i'm not mad i'm just disappointed sort of vibe mm-hmm. as the you know crying and breaking stuff god yeah that was a that was a very cool moment i think yeah um yeah can you tell us a bit about the decisions that led up to that very cool movement at the end of the episode before last Obviously, Quinn has been having a tough time emotionally lately, um, but why did he ultimately decide to run in and start cracking skulls in that situation? I think partially because there mm-hmm. didn't seem a way to like duck in front of the big guy and make him stop what he was doing. So the only thing he could think to do was just to sort of get over next to everybody else and just be prepared to try and provide support and then you know one panic cast of thunder wave later and all of a sudden there's a paste on the ground where people used to be and then shit starts getting weird that's how it goes sometimes yeah (laughs) decisions have consequences they they absolutely do um yeah i like i like creating those situations where it's it seems very linear like the choice seems very clear like Oh, there's nothing else we can do. But actually, when you in the and in the moment, you're making that split second decision, and you think you're making the right one, and there's not really a wrong one to make. There's just a decision and a path you take. And I like I like that because at the at when I when I talk to everyone after, they're like, "Well, this, this, and this," and I was like, "Well, actually, though, they never attacked you. They they drew their weapons and were protecting their stall. Had you have backed off." and left Bane to do what he was doing, they would have not attacked you. And they would have been like, like, we don't care about you. You're like, you're leaving us alone. And they would have done their own thing and just protected against Bane. And then maybe the situation would have changed or something else would have happened, or you would have had to find another way to get Mm -hmm. your belongings. Um, And so, and similarly with even going forward with him, it was everyone thought like, this is, we don't really have anything else. And everyone was worried about potentially going into the mountains to, to do the favor for Malcolm, uh, if without, you know, uh, Oriana's spellcasting focus or Quinn's diamonds or whatever. And they were like, well, we can't, we can't do this. And so everyone thought like this was the only path forward, but really again, stepping back, there were options and there are always options and it's never just one singular I like I said I don't like to make a linear world. I like to give lots of options and give players the opportunity to explore it. But I also do like to dangle the carrot and see if the players just going to take it. Yeah, like yeah. hard focus on on the the thing that's right in front of them. So yeah, definitely makes the players end up in some interesting situations. It does. It does. Like, like the one you did end up in. Yeah. Um, so you did get sort of arrested. Um, but you didn't get thrown in jail or executed or even fined. Um, you were instead given a chance to kind of repay your debt to society um, yeah, or, community or get service. exiled. Yeah. Um, so Serenity, I actually want to talk to you about this because you created a very interesting little society here. Um, can you tell us a bit about design this city, the city of thieves and blackguards that has a very progressive restorative justice system? Yeah, so I wanted it to be different. Like everyone knows, like, you know, they go into the the den of themes and like Dash was very much like this. It was like very Dash was very much like the the tried and true, like has its gangs, has its like underbelly and stuff like that. Whereas Cage Barrow to me was more of like, this is the place where all the outcasts have gone. And though they are outcasts and they've made their mistakes, and some of them still do not do the best of of what society has to offer. They're also not the worst of what society has to offer, but they're not really welcome anywhere else. And and I just I I always go back to like there has to be all amongst thieves in a, in a mm-hmm. sense. And how does a society work if no one works together? And so I figured there would be this group of of basically mercenaries that have come in and basically decided to provide order amongst the chaos. And, um, and so that's kind of like what the desert rose has become. And, uh, and the whole thing is, is 
they're not really they're not on the take um they just protect and help people sort of live in this place if they want to and the rule is is you don't steal from the desert rose because they're keeping things going mm -hmm. but otherwise like as long as it's not a like a hard terrible terrible crime they're generally not going to waste their resources like looking into it now if someone comes to them and asks them to, to try to look into it they're not going to not help them but they know how difficult it is to deal with people in the city and it has its own reputation so most people coming to it understand like what they're get what they're getting themselves into and so i wanted this place of this this untrustworthiness but also this underlying sort of sense of of honor uh of the the group that's keeping this place running and keeping it what it is a safe haven for these kind of like unmentionables mm -hmm. yeah i like the the differentiation you pointed out between dash and cage bear also because to me dash is what happens when crime is in regular society regular society just basically pushes pushes it down almost like a french press and concentrates it really hard in certain areas where it just gets stronger and worse and this was more like the idealistic you know like the um I'm trying to think with the the one of the only good parts of westward expansion where people would just find land that was literally unclaimed by anybody even local people at all and would just people who had nowhere else to go would build somewhere to go like regardless of what they were before like here is a new place to be like the the, the um the freed slave cities that that were built is no one wants us anywhere else and we deserve to make our own lives therefore we are going to do this for ourselves wherever we can and it was a very very interesting thing there yeah, yeah. It's very like I mean it's like a mix of like Wild West and 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 I don't know. So like the the idea of um the idea of like like a like an honor code. Mm -hmm. Uh but I, yeah, I I I I just wanted something different. I I don't like to to have the trope of of just like, you know, I love I love Jake cuz he is he will hardcore just be like, I don't trust anyone. I don't trust anyone. Um, and, and he like hard, uh, again, dovetails or tunnels into like, this is what these people are. And, uh, and then I turn it completely on its head. Um, and, and I like, I like showing them that like the world is such a multifaceted place and yeah, some people can be not great, but that doesn't mean they're the worst of the worst. And it doesn't mean that, that there's no redemption at all. And so like, that's kind of what the desert rose has become. Like a lot of these people have become sort of brothers in arms to protect the rest of this group and have come from hard lives or poor choices, uh, but have now made something of themselves and still may not be the best of people, but they're doing what they can to make this place a livable society for, you know, the groups of people who come here. Yeah. I thought it was a very cool concept to have um, this, you know, rough town that has that core of kind of honor, I guess is the right word, but like an honest core of people who are just trying to get by exactly, and yeah. trying to do their best. Everybody's trying to do their best, sort of. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I feel like I ask you this every time you're on, but was this, the players do what you expected them to do in these situations. I, I mean, no. I mean, <laughs> it's the, usually no. We're very unpredictable. The aspects. the the once the the so for this episode specifically, um, I I literally had no notes. Um, mm -hmm. I had like just a piece of music, and I was like, I have to do what I have to do here. Um, but like previously, no, I thought that um. I thought that with the warning that Quinn had with the symbol after he had done what he had done uh, in the alley, I 100% thought there would be like, this is way too easy. Like something smells about this. This is like, just does not feel good, especially giving them the opportunity to talk to Malcolm and him giving them like a way out kind of, and all they would have to do kind of is help him. And then he would help them. And then also with, um, uh, Campion and Baltaim finding where the guards went 
um, I figured that they would do a little bit more reconnaissance or whatever and have like these three options in front of them. Um, and I really did not expect them to charge ahead and attack a stall in broad daylight. Like I thought that like, there's no way anyone's going to ever do that. No one's going to make that decision. And this person forcing a timeline on them and saying like, well, I'm leaving. Like if you don't do it, figure like, you know, they'll, they'll be like, this is, eh, this doesn't feel right. Um, but they defied my expectations as per usual. And, um, and I just had to, that's why I didn't have a battle map because I literally was not expecting that at all, or I would be, I would have been prepared. Um, mm -hmm. I just did. I thought it was like unrealistic that they would do it, but, um, but then, yeah, uh, for last episode, I had an idea of what would happen. Um, but I wasn't sure what the players ultimately would choose to do, which is why I really didn't set anything up. Um, when they, the, the decision that they ended on, uh, ended up coming to then dovetailed back into where I originally thought that they would go. So they've kind of come full circle into like a place where I, I think they would go mm -hmm. and I'm like more prepared to handle like this next situation. But, uh, but yeah, this, the roundabout way the, that they got there, uh, was, was definitely not expected. Exactly unexpected. Uh, Chad, um, so do you think that your group's punishment was fair? Because there was actually some back and forth in the group as to whether you should um, you know, take your licks and go hunting or just fuck off and leave forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like the punishment is definitely fair considering the fact that we did kind of sort of perpetrated a very small massacre in the middle of a marketplace in broad daylight and all that and oh. you know well quinn was not really participating in the whole argument he's 100 for the idea of you did something wrong now try to do something good not to make up for it because i mean you can't really always make up for the wrong you have done but you can try to balance the bad with good things in other places to just sort of get sort of like a karmic neutral game sort of thing but Sorry. i mean i figured the most of the arguments seem to just be coming from camping like no i don't want to work with thieves let's just leave screw everybody <laughs> But yeah, no, the first one was definitely, definitely fair and actually, you know, quite lenient. Makes, well, not only lenient, but it makes it so that we can actually do something to balance out the wrong that was done as well. So, you know, it's a nice way to work it out. Awesome. Okay, so now let's talk about um, Quinn's very big moral dilemma, which has been going on for many episodes now. Um, so Quinn's a very special boy who got some, uh, got a lot of personal attention from not one but two gods uh, last episode. So before we dive into other things, is Quinn like, does he have a sense of how big a deal that is? Because I don't think in this world you get that much attention usually from your deities. Or are you I mean, too distracted? I think really he isn't thinking about that all that much right now because mm -hmm. it's more of his focus is now on how to change and improve and try to be a better version of himself he's not so much trying to think about i literally just got a talking to from two separate deities and threatened in a very specific manner by one of them and how big of a deal that actually is player perspective yeah no that's that is definitely a big deal character perspective he's like it's in there kicking around someplace it's just he has not yet come to grips with it because he hasn't had a chance to think about that specific thing it probably will come up at some point for him like oh shit that is important there um okay so when when quinn was you know, in the presence, um, mm -hmm. essentially being asked to choose. Was there a moment of temptation for him when he considered just like, or when even you as a player considered just fully going over to Bane 
who made a decent argument for himself. He did make a very compelling argument. And I think had that argument come at any other time, there may have actually been some, you know, some conflict and debate. But the fact that it came right on the heels of him doing something that literally broke the heart of the deity that was the only reason he was alive as far as he knows and you know what that ended up costing him it made him actually stop and think about what he was doing and focus more on the present not on the thing he was trying to get not on the thing that he things that he has done but more being in the now when trying to choose based on what is happening in the moment. And while one option seemed very appealing because it would be immediate results and exactly what he wanted and no questions asked, that was the exact offer that was made when he was told, yeah, I know where your shit is. Come on, let's go get it. We might have to kill some people, by the way. Don't want to bury the lead there, but you know, there will probably be some violence and bloodshed. Let's let's go. Come on. It'll be fun. Get a lunch. And had it not come at that exact time of like, that was the offer that was made and he saw what happened. Like the easy way led to a lot of pain without that much of a boon in the end. You know, like he got his stuff back, but there was a cost, you know? It's pretty light cost though. If you don't care about killing people, you got... You got yourself cheap. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. But you know, he, there really, really wasn't that much um, debate for him at the time because uh, there would definitely be more that he wasn't counting on and wasn't bargaining for by taking the easy way. Mm-hmm. And doing it the hard way, there's more it gives more time and more chances to try and figure out what exactly he's trying to do. Cause he's still basically clueless about what he's supposed to do and how he's supposed to go about it. And just getting everything needs in the moment, like all the power needs to go and write the one wrong is trying to write means like, well, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and do this thing and have no idea where he's going, what he's doing, probably end up dead. At least this way also, he will learn more about what he's supposed to do and hopefully figure out an actual solution instead of just, I'm going to go there and hit stuff until I fall over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one way of doing it. So it why, did, why did Quinn ultimately choose Malor? Was that just he wanted to be the person who chose Malor? He felt... Like he owed Melora was it something else. What was his internal process there? Well, that was part of it because he did feel he does feel like he owes her something, but mostly it was based on the interaction that he had with Bane, with how he offered the solution that was come this way, do incredible violence, and you're going to get what you want, no problem. And then was very proud of him for doing said violence on an unarmed civilian right before. And the things that he was happiest with that the party was doing seemed to be, in his mind, the worst things to be doing in that moment. And he did not want to be the kind of person who takes that solution every single time and who still just, you know, does the dumb impulsive thing because this is the thing where he finally sees that is what what this inevitably will net the dumb impulsive choice after another after another after another will eventually paint you into this corner and he ended up choosing to go with melora just because the kind of person that he would like to be is so drastically different from the one that he would become if he did take the easy path and he wants to be able to essentially be the man that is actually worthy of the trust that was put in him and the kind of person who can find a way to, if not save you know, all of his family and people and everything, at least the kind of person who can 
do everything that is possible and hopefully make a difference in some way, not just the kind of person who's going to only get what he wants and then everything else be damned. So that's why he ended up going with her because she was, she was making the case of all things need to be protected, not just what you want. Gotcha. Well, lots of work for Quinn going forward. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think you're up to it? I mean, we'll, we will see if he is because he's, he's tried, he tried meditating for like a whole minute or two. So, yeah. He needs to get Headspace. They do like the little three minute. Uh, we're not, we're not sponsored by Headspace. But we will <laughs> take the sponsor money. sponsor us. If you want to sponsor us, contact us. Yeah. And we're contact. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> Serenity, um, Serenity, can you tell us about DMing um, Quinn's extended moral crisis and sort of designing and running this very profound scene um, wherein Quinn chooses who he wants to be going forward? Very emotional. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing about this campaign is I always kind of knew the arc that I wanted to run for the whole campaign and I knew the world that I wanted to build but when all of the players came to me with their characters uh the the really interesting thing to me was like I could see the flaws in every single one of these characters which I think makes them more real um because as as human beings in real life we are ultimately flawed people we have our vices and, and virtues and and I saw that there was no character, one character that was like over and above, like, you know, uh, an, an altruant, like person who didn't care about anything, but, but like others and, and only wanted to do what's best. Like they all had their own sort of little natures, whether it be like ignorance or, or selfishness or impulsiveness or like, you know, anger or, or, um, uh, you know, sort of like fate be damned, like throw caution to the wind. Um, like, and I'm just so, raising my hand when shit comes up that ties into me like, hello. <laughs> and so, and so there was this dichotomy and I knew that like each of these characters ultimately are going to have to choose what they think they know and what is what they learn kind of thing. And, and all of them will ultimately have to choose. Do they, do they change or do they stay the same? And what does that mean at the end of the day? Um, and so Quinn's, uh, I had already had like sort of this, the dichotomy of his personality and yet this deity who had stepped in and kind of seen who he could potentially be. But ultimately it's on his shoulders to make that choice. Um, and so this scene, uh, I, 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 I knew what these two beings represented and the one thing i definitely wanted similar to the the cage barrow and how i created that society was the understanding of like the the destroyers are called the destroyers and the the history of the gods is written by people who have maybe biased opinions of of like where you get your information can change what story you hear um and i i always like this idea of like no God is truly good or evil. Um, there are facets to who they are and there are things that, that could be taken from any one of these, um, these beings, uh, and used for a dual purpose of, of striding forward in like the morally ethical way or the not so. And, um, and so I wanted to come forward with Bane as he's not just this like, you know, evil, torturous, murderous, killer that only wants the worst of of society like there are generals who have followed him and have strategized very well and have been you know lauded in the annals of history as people who have kept their society going and and are good like ultimately good people um you know and and there are warriors who follow his tenets and and do things and yeah maybe there is you know maybe there is some selfishness in the way that they do things but ultimately their end goal could be a good one and they could end up, you know, um, uh, achieving it. So when I had this, I knew that I didn't want to make it easy. 
uh, similar to how Avonhurst went with with the trials there. I didn't want to make it easy for the players to just be able to be like, yeah, fuck you. You're you're a terrible person. Like, I'm never going to follow you. Like, I don't even want to hear what you have to say. They had points as to like why this was the case. And um, and though I didn't have like dialogue or anything specific, I knew Quinn, I knew Chad's character and I kind of understand the backstory enough that I was like, OK, this is how they're going to talk to him. And I also knew that I wanted Bane and Melora to be siblings um, just because also the very duality of their both their natures as well and and sort of how they see things through um, and also show that even though gods can have their different philosophies, they also can still have like a familial bond and can still protect one another and maybe have each other's backs in the right moment. So um, so I, I just knew that that was going to be there and I, I definitely wanted it to uh i wanted to drive the point home as to like how important and impactful this is for quinn like this is ultimately him having to choose to change who he is fundamentally he's i think 25 years old and um and for 25 years he's been this person and he's always followed this path you know, if a person's challenged him, he's like not back down and he's like driven through them. If someone, you know, uh, you know, told him he couldn't do something, he didn't give a shit what they said. He would go off and do it just to prove them wrong. And um, and so ultimately he has to so decide, am I still going to be that person at the end of the day or am I going to to be able to like tamper that instinct to lash out and to like get my my hackles up? And step back and take a breath and, and have some patience and say, like, what do I ultimately want to do in this situation? And where do I ultimately want to go? And so that's now the um, the offer that he's been presented with. It's like, you're still being watched. You're by no means out of the woods. You have to prove by more than just flowery words that you want to be this new person. And by the way, given that everything that's happened at the end of this, there's still a choice to be made. Yeah, which I feel like, speaking of the fact that was put out literally right at the end of the conversation, I feel like the fact that Quinn was like, what choice? Tell me. Tell me now. Give me more information. I need to know this immediately. Immediately, damn you. I feel like that is a sign of personal growth. So, um, see? Baby steps. He didn't immediately jump on the one thing and just start trying to grab and shake a deal. Like, tell me it. Tell me the thing. Like an impatient child with Christmas peasants or with me the actual adult with christmas presents well i know the player wants to know the player always wants to know what, yeah. what they're getting into but but yeah, well, yeah. so so yeah it'll it'll be an interesting uh but i'm really i will say like as a dm i had no idea how that scene was going to play out like i knew the general beats i wanted to hit um but i also wanted it to be fulfilling for the player as well and and for the character and their growth and and i feel like that like that scene went went the way that I wanted it to and and I think got across the points um that Quinn needed to understand and also that the the player needed to know of like this whole backstory that was going on with with him uh, and the character that he created yes I also feel like it was successful and I was the other half of that scene therefore complete success there we go 100 percent yeah. 100 percent, guys we did it we did it we achievement did. unlocked pack it up pack it up go home um, not the trophy cool. yeah <laughs> Nice. Okay, so I actually had a um, a fan submitted question which came in late today. Ooh. Anonymous, yeah, anonymous asks, would Quinn ever switch gods just because the new god had a cooler symbol? Hmm. How cool are we talking? I mean, very like, cool. Very it's cool. It's not the question, but I am extrapolating extremely cool. Coolest you can think of. Coolest you can think of. Yeah. I mean, he'd be tempted. He'd be <laughs> real tempted. Melora, your yeah, swirl yeah. sucks. I'm going, I'm <laughs> going with this like ultimate cool, like celestial being that's like drawn on here. It's so intricate. I'm going to go with this one that's basically like a bear with chainsaw hands that's <laughs> yeah, fighting a larger bear. <laughs> yeah very complicated symbol to fit on some chain armor but you know it would be like a frank frazetta van painting of a holy symbol it would be oh glorious uh someday you'll find your chainsaw bear god um <laughs> one day someday one day one day 
Yeah, fuck Bane. We're going with the chainsaw bear. Laura, um, yeah. Screw them both. Yeah. That's a whole pantheon. Yeah. Um, I feel cool. like a bear with chainsaws for hands would be like the combined deity of Bane and Malora. Malora, yeah. <laughs> you've got the bear for Malora, but then you've got the fuck chainsaw. you chainsaw hands of Bane. Like, this is what his holy symbol should now be. Because that's what that's what Quinn's gonna he's gonna be like. I I, I refuse to choose. You gave me this dual symbol, but can you just change this is it? What I'm to doing a, now. Yeah, yeah, but you, instead of the hand with the swirl, can you change it to a bear with chainsaws? That would be better. Thank you. He holds up like a really bad little sketch. Yeah, <laughs> like, I drew you're, it. You're gods. You could do better than this. Come on. <laughs> he's just gonna hold up a crayon drawing. It's gonna yeah. look like a five year old made it. I drawed oh, this. I you make now. <laughs> I love it. Okay, we're moving on to our okay. topic for today, um, which is improv. Um, so what is the essence of D&D? It's improv and math. Uh, and math would not be an interesting topic for most of our viewers unless I've drastically misunderstood the fan base. Um, so instead, we're talking about improv. Now, um, first question, have either of you done real improv like theater <laughs> i have not i've wanted to but the opportunity just has not been there you know because either time or money or the combination of time and money like and, and being able to find something to do so i haven't done it but i've i've watched hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of hours of improv like i I absolutely fucking adore whose line is it anyway. Like the British version all the way up through the various American iterations as well. And I've watched enough of it that I feel like I at least understand it <laughs> so I can try to emulate it. What do you think? You think I've done Probably it or not? not? You seem like you're not a theater kid. Really? Yeah. I literally told improv? you I'm a Broadway junkie. Yeah, I have done improv yeah, and theater. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wait, what have you been in? <laughs> what place have you been in? Oh, uh, I did um, like Oklahoma back when I was in high school. Um, I did like a fashion show, like where I like played with my band and stuff like that. Um, I did, I was in commercials. I was in Saving Bobby Fisher, the movie as, our, as an extra. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I completely you. Pardon? So, damn, you keep getting cooler. Yeah. But I mean, that was when I was very young, and uh, I don't care. And I, and I, you know, like I did all of that stuff, and um, I think I was in like an old Dutch commercial, which was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like once I got into maths and sciences, and I was like, well, this is more of a steady paycheck. I was like, yeah, theater's fun, but probably not yeah. gonna pay my bills when I get older so and i Peter's loved fun, but i, I sure loved, like money i loved math and science well no it was it was like love love i loved both and i was like yeah yeah i'll, I'll do the one that's probably going to be more lucrative and i'll still love it mm -hmm. so, so yeah that yeah. i i ended up not sticking with it but i did i did do improv and i loved it and it's a lot of fun so yeah i think that's my own prejudice going through i i thought you were too cool to be a theater kid i knew you liked broadway but a lot of people such like a broadway. nerd though i'm such a loser i was such a loser all through school honestly i have like no hey. friends really okay uh we're not gonna get into that right now on air um, my personal life how sad it is <laughs> it's okay you have friends now um i also did improv but not since high school i was president of like the improv troupe for a while nice we, we forget about that it's in the past i hate theater kids now um anyway but that's right um snob <laughs> I, I am it's it's fine Okay, so the foundational idea of improv is the concept of yes and, which I assume we're all nerdy enough to know about, um, which means essentially avoiding saying a flat no during a scene because that stops a scene in its tracks. You're familiar. Yeah. Um, so do you think yes and is also an important uh, concept like in RP, specifically in D&D? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the hardest thing to do when you're trying to get get into a scene and do some RP with someone is if you're just throwing stuff out and trying to you know trying to get something going or some sort of mm -hmm. interaction and all you get is stonewalled with no like like it's like I 
Yeah, like and it's just that dead silence of no, like, well, fuck, now what? <laughs> because it basically just puts all the burden back on you to try and come up with more stuff to try and keep things moving. Because if the person's interaction is only, uh uh-uh, uh, I don't wanna, then that's pretty much the end of their dramatic wellspring. So you gotta yeah, try and figure out something. I think, um, I think within reason, I mean, there are some situations where it's like, yeah, okay, but you might not want to. It's like, well, I, I think I'm going to try and jump off this cliff and like spread my arms and flap them really, really hard. And maybe I'll fly and won't splat on the ground. And it's like, you can try that. Sure. But Mm. you might get the the result that you get might not be the one that you want. Um, I think as a DM, Like, at least for me, I try, like, I always try to give multiple options for the group, depending on which way they want to go. And even as a player, uh, try to, you know, make sure that everyone can, like, work together. But, like, at at the end of the day, there's also, like, you know, that's why we have, like, roles and stuff like that, is to also see, you know, some of your ideas may be really wacky and weird and maybe not make a lot of sense, but you give that role to see, hey, if you if you do really well, then sure, like, let's work this out and figure out how this becomes a thing and how this, like, becomes a, an interesting, funny, freaky, weird, creepy scene, whatever it whatever it is. Um, uh, but I think there also has to there has to be given give and take in every improv. Um, and also, I, I will say, especially in like D&D you have to read the the scene and the people that you're playing with as well, because just like an improv, there has to be a safe space for like everyone to perform in. And so you have to understand, like if you're going down a certain direction, that seems to be the direction that most people are averse to. It's likely that they're not shutting you down, but maybe there is, there's merit to like why they're, they're stepping back from it. So I think, I think there's a give and take, but yeah, you, you essentially have to be open to every possibility. And that's why like the majority of, of DMing and even playing is, is all improv. Like what do you, you know, you, you maybe have this point that you need to get to, how are you, how are you going to get there? Let's figure it out. Like, yeah. Think of the well, wide, also, wide and wild and weird, weird ways we can do it. Right. Yeah. Cause also one thing that there's not just with when specifically with DMing, there's not just the yes and, there's also no but. Because instead of giving the flat stone wall of no, which is in D&D terms, go fuck yourself, you can't, give the idea of no, but you offer a redirection off mm-hmm. of, no, you can't do this. Because if you want to jump off this cliff and you don't know how to fly, you are going to fall to your death because you're stupid. But here's a different thing that you could do to traverse the gorge that you're trying to get across. Like ropes mm-hmm. have been invented in this world and you could try <laughs> one of those. There happens, there. Yeah. yeah, there happens to also be a tree here and a tree over there and you could be the person that invents the zip line you know like just put stuff like that out there and it's the whole idea of no you can't do this but there's other stuff you could do yeah it's like it's like the little brother of yes and yeah (laughs) yeah i'm glad you brought that up i think that's definitely um definitely a good concept in D&D specifically because I know I think of D&D as slightly more structured than straight improv because you do have dice and the dice can say no even if the other players probably don't usually say no but but no but is an important concept especially because everybody has a characterization to consider as well so you can't say yes to everything because it wouldn't necessarily make sense as Serena was saying but overall yes and no but Mm -hmm cool beans um okay so you're both dms it does so obviously you improv a lot i know serenity last episode obviously all improv um mildly planned improv chad you've showed me your lack of notes as well um so when it comes to improvising mid-game is this something that's always come like naturally to you or did it take practice to get to make it something that flowed I mean, for me, I just, I usually just put myself on the spot as much as possible to make sure I can do it. You know, like I will go into an entire session I'm going to run with 
nothing really written down and just the big idea of what I want to happen overall. And then just what makes sense right now? Okay, this, and then just run with it. You know, like I'll prepare the very important things or the very big things that need like intricate detail. Like if there's something with, you know, traps, like big traps or puzzles that have to be solved or things like that, you know, I'll get that written down, but I leave everything else around it loose just because without the rigid structure of these are all the things that I have to hit here. That means that when somebody does make an odd decision or does, you know, do the thing I don't expect, I can react more quickly because I didn't have anything planned for this. So what makes sense to happen right now? Gut reaction is Manticore and then just go with it. Hey. Uh, I, I, it's I can do it, um, um, and it's fine. I generally like to have a little bit more understanding of like what I'm gonna like what I'm trying to do. Um, in a situation like last session, I still had a I still had my general idea of like how I wanted to bring everything back around. Uh, so as long as I kind of have like my my major kind of like beats, um, improving isn't too difficult. I think like no DM works off of a script. It would be impossible. Um, so there's always improv. Like even if you know, okay, there's a store and the store owner's name is this and they're uh, like a gnome or something like that or a halfling. Like that conversation that they're going to have with the players if if the players actually want to, you know, do more than just, okay, I buy this, this, and this. If they want to actually have a conversation with them, or if you know this is a conversation they have to have because there's like a quest or an adventure that ties off of it, um, that's always going to be improv anyways. I generally like to have more of like that so that I have an idea of like what players are walking into. But sometimes, you know, you get those sessions where the players don't go at all where you're expecting and everything has to be improv. I'd say like the hardest thing for me that I've gotten better at is like thinking of names on the fly, just like mm -hmm. off the top of my head for, for like NPCs um, uh, and, and descriptions of places and stuff. Um, because, you know, uh, generally I try to like write that stuff down so that I can be a little bit more eloquent with, um, with, with that stuff when I'm describing it and paint a better picture. But I think I've gotten a little bit better uh, with that kind of stuff, but but yeah, I, I mean, I think it comes to, it's one of those things where like, I was super nervous. I think I told all the players last session, I was like, I have no idea how this is going to go. I'm so nervous. I'm going to fail everything. I feel like I haven't DM'd in like, I still get like stage fright when I, when I DM because I want everyone to have a good time. And I don't think that goes away for any DM. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think improv comes naturally to any DM because you kind of have to do it every session, no matter how good your notes are, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the game. Um, yeah, so do you guys have any advice for like new DMs who are not perhaps confident in their improv skills and are worried about players going off in unexpected directions that they haven't planned for? Um, yeah, so this is, uh, I mean, so the, the things that I like to have is I like to have general encounters. Um, that you can kind of use anywhere. Uh, I have a lot of those where even if the players go in some other direction, I can still slot it in somewhere. And I find encounters are a nice way. Like if you feel like an RP section is going really, really long and you as a DM need to like kind of regroup and rethink like putting an, like even if it's an easy encounter somewhere where the players are adventuring to kind of like break up all of like the skill stuff that they're doing or the investigation or whatever um, can help you kind of like reset and get yourself settled and also gives the players something to interact with and do that kind of breaks up the scene. So uh, generally I always say to like make a few just like random encounters that you can slot in, like in any kind of environment that would make sense um, and have those at the ready to kind of like throw at your players if, if need be to break things up. Um, the other thing is to just have general ideas of the main things that you want your players to do. And it doesn't matter how they get there, but give them, give them hints as they go. So if they go in some weird direction, it doesn't mean that you can't tell them that the Blackguard Fort that's just north of the city 
is in trouble and is ha- has been having, you know, weird, you know, the people have been having weird visions and stuff like that and give the players that hint. And they could find it out from thieves. They could find it out from heading into an, in, in ta- a tavern and he- overhearing people if they have a high enough perception check. They could find it from, you know, XNPC, like wherever, but you can still know that that's the general direction uh, that you want them to go. And that makes it a little bit easier to kind of play the improv out because you know where the, like the end direction you kind of want to guide the players to. Yeah. I think the only thing I can say as far as advice is kind of similar. It's just know where you're going and don't care how you get there. Just Mm -hmm. as long as you, because with, because with the Strahd campaign I'm running for fun and that you guys are both in, I know what I want to be at like the end, literally the end of the entire thing. I know what that I know what that's going to be because I just have ideas while walking the dog and I think that's a good idea and I file that away and now I've built the big bet of the whole campaign mm-hmm. and I don't give a shit how you people get there I just know that you're gonna get there that. and then as far as how I figure the easiest way to make sure you do get there is just to just to literally build organically off of the choices that you make when they happen to figure okay well now you know this thing and now you're going over here where this thing can also happen. And then just sort of, it makes it feel more like a natural progression as opposed to, I have a railroad and you're all getting on toot toot. Toot toot. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so how can you make improv seem seamless? Now I've played under Serenity and I've never been able to tell when she's pulling stuff out of her ass. It's really secret? hard. What's your secret? What's your secret? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't really, just be good. I, just I, be good. I feel like I'm shitting the bed most of the time. Uh, so lies and slander. No, I mean, you guys tell me that. And so, I mean, that's obviously that makes like, makes me feel like I'm doing a, a good job, but, um, I think the, the, really the big thing is to just be having fun in the moment. I think if you're having fun, and you're into the characters that you're playing as a DM and you feel close to, to the world and you just want your players to have a good time. And uh, like, for me, I look at the faces of all the the players as, as I'm doing this stuff and I see their reactions and I can see like, okay, you know, like they're, they're into this, you know, um, that, that kind of gives me energy and allows me to continue going with my scene. And sometimes I do stumble, um, but you're going to, uh, and like, that's just natural and you just pick yourself back up and kind of keep going. And a lot of times, like even stumbling, people don't know that you're stumbling because, mm-hmm. because again, there's no script, there's nothing written. The The players have no idea where they're going or what's supposed to happen or any of that kind of stuff. So that's the nice thing about, uh, DMing. Like I generally like don't, I, I, when you, when I, when you DM'd, I couldn't tell, like, you know, if you, if you knew the direction that we were going or if the, you were like, oh shit, oh shit, what's going on? And you were panicking in your head. Same with like Chad. Um, Always the I, second one. Always the second one. But that's the thing. Like, I, I think it's like generally as a, as a, as long as you, as long as you're not giving up as a DM and just throwing your hands in the air and just being like, I can't do this. And like, I don't know where we're going and, and I don't know what's happening. Um, as long as you you keep playing out the scene. I think, I don't think anyone can tell. And I think everyone thinks like, you know, they look at, at DMs uh, that they watch play and like, you know, put people like Chris Perkins and, and Matthew Mercer and stuff like that. And they think like, Oh, they've got to have some like secret manual that they use. And I don't think they do. I think they're just like having fun at the table. And sometimes in their head, they're going shit, shit, shit. How do I turn this around? And they're just continuing the scene and playing it off and being like, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, I, if this is fun, then let's just keep going in this fun direction and let, let my players have a, have a ball and we'll see where it ends up. So there's no, there's no secret sauce to it. It's just enjoying the moment. <clears throat> yeah. That's what I was plus for anyone that's looking for ways to make it look like, you know what you're doing as a DM, if you are struggling in the moment and you are trying to figure out shit, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? Some great tools to make it look like you actually know what you're doing are the stall tactics of pretend you're looking up a rule. Roll some dice for no reason and don't say why. You know, those two things, Give those are two of your biggest, yeah, those are two of the biggest tricks you can use. Just like, and also just 
Hmm. That's it. Just use the mm-hmm. hmm. Make it look like you're really thinking about something that was just said, like, oh, the player just did a profound thing. It's going to have an impact on the world. Meanwhile, Mike the Barbarian just decided to burn a tavern down for no reason. And you're like, Fuck. that's the, the dice thing, <laughs> The dice thing works better in real life if you do it, like, um, if you do it on like a discord thing you have to make sure your mic is picking up the dice you have to make sure your mic is near the dice i have a nice large wooden dice tray that i'm hoping (laughs) can be heard audibly when everyone's sitting like hmm clink if i really want to make sure it's heard i have metal ones that i can just throw in like now make sure you people know i'm doing something (laughs) ding (laughs) also um going off of what serenity said with reading the faces of players. I personally have a bit of an ace in the hole. Um, you're all familiar with Laura, who mm-hmm. normally plays within a few feet to yard of me. She has a very expressive manner of playing. And she has also no poker face whatsoever. So it's easy to tell if I'm doing well or doing poorly by just looking over like, Oh shit. And then regroup. <laughs> awesome. And I got a little weather vein at home. I do, um, yes. <laughs> she is the canary to my DMing coal mine. <laughs> Romantic. I know. Um, isn't it? Yeah. So do you guys think it's easier to RP to improvise like RP situations or combat? Or are these things like hard in different ways? hard in different ways or easy in different ways depending on how you look at it because there's different requirements on what you need for either one you know like if it's you're trying to completely improvise combat you need to be aware of what is the bridge too far for your party you know like what's the thing that's going to kill them is six beholders too many yes probably let's not put that one out there and like if it's in an rp situation it's what can I not say to this person because it wouldn't fit the character or because it would literally break down the entire scene of like, how the hell do you know that? And like, what, like, where are the few boundaries that exist of what can be done, what can't be done? So it's like, just, it's thinking on your feet and easy and difficult at the same time, but just for different reasons. I think combat's really hard to RP. Uh, Sorry to improvise. Um, depending on the group but generally like a large group it's hard to improvise combat um generally if you're improvising combat it's for like a story moment or a story scene and it's less about the strategy of the battle or like this is like a major boss or something like that that they're like facing or a major threat it's more to fulfill a moment or to be a part of um you know something that they're they're that they're in the midst of in terms of a quest. I find like just generally like throwing things in one, it gets very confusing if you don't have like a map to kind of understand how everything is placed. And also players want to do a lot of times like really interesting or neat things. And if they don't have a visual visual of like what the environment is or like how they're going to interact with it, um, it can be difficult. I think, like I said, in certain situations, if you're having like a chase scene and you turn it into initiative and you're going to have like a combat moment, that can work improvised really, really well. But I think if you're going to have the like the players fighting 12 different things on a large battle map with like pillars and portals and levers and lava pits and things like that, you kind of want to have that all set out and and visible for the players to understand what movements they're going to make. Because it really sucks to be like the monk and to be like, okay, I'm going to walk over here and attack this guy. And it's like, Oh yeah. The giant ogre charges at you and knocks you into the lava. And you're like, well, I didn't know there was a lava lava pit. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that there was one right beside here. And it's like, Oh yeah. You put yourself there. And it's like, Oh, well, it would be great if I could have seen that, you know? So, so I think, yeah, generally uh, improving, especially in a, uh, in a system like D and D where there's so much going on and there's so much you can do. Um, I think D and D doesn't lend itself very well to improv large combat, um, or like important combat, but there are a lot of systems that are very improv with their combat because combat is like, you get hit like twice and you're dead. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so combat isn't really a thing of like, 
you know, like if you play vampire or werewolf or any of like the world of darkness games, you don't want to get hit more than like twice because you're, you're, you're not living through it. Um, so you can get shot a bunch and it doesn't do very much damage. Yeah. Cause you're and a vampire, so. but you yeah. get like clawed by another vampire yeah, and you're not doing very well. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, I think, I think, but again, those moments, because you're one V oneing like another creature uh, can lend themselves to, to easy, uh, uh, improv. Whereas D and D not, not so much. So mm-hmm. neat. Okay, um, and that is exactly our time. So thank you both for coming on the show. Um, thank you to the viewers for tuning in uh, once again to our lovely Tuesday um, show. Tune in again next week, um, tune in on Friday for the next episode of Roll for Damage. Um, thank you to our wonderful um, artists and musicians, Sunbird and Lady Meows, who did our that's reversed. Lady Meows is the artist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lady Meows <laughs> is the artist. Sunbird is our musician. Um, who people did things. Theme music. People did things. <laughs> Thank you to them. Stick around. Um, we have brand new links. Um, regarding quite a few of them, the runoff in Georgia, but also some other stuff too. So, uh, check that out, and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. See ya.